Hey, it worked. Woohoo. So far. Sometimes this uh, flickers on and off, but at least it doesn't just shut off and it's done. So, hey, that's, that is a positive thing. Um, well, we are continuing our series into Matthew chapters 5 and 7, uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount, or what we're calling Shift, moving from what we know to who we know. And it's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about what He's done for us, which we just remembered here uh, at the table. And, and we want to be reminded of Him on a regular basis. But it's, it's really, it's about that relationship. And, and I hope you understand that when you think about the gospel and what He has done for us, that it really is about a relationship with, with Him. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning as we move forward. Now, I'm sure at some point in time you have been in a group where you guys are sitting down together or maybe just one-on-one with somebody and you talk to the other person and you say, hey, would you like to pray? And that person, maybe they're newer to the faith or, or they just haven't had a lot of experience and they'll, they'll say something like this, well, I would, I just, I don't really know how to pray. Have you either felt that way or heard somebody say that before? Okay, a few of you. Um, you don't have to, you know, admit that you've felt that way, but you've heard somebody else say that. Come on. Yeah, all right. Some of you have as well. Well, isn't it great to read a verse like this, Matthew 6, 9? Therefore, you should pray like this. I mean, how easy does it get? Like, God made it really clear. You want to know how to pray or you want the answer to that question? If somebody says, I don't know how to pray, then open up your Bible, go to Matthew 6, 9, and you can say, well, guess what? God tells us exactly how to pray. And so up to this point, really the last two weeks, Luke did a message on the motivation behind giving and why we give and how we ought to make sure it's about, again, a relationship and it's about the one we're giving to. And then last week, Josh went through prayer and the motivation behind prayer and why we pray. And so today, we get to go into the the how-to. How do you pray? And so I thought what we could do to start off with, since this is probably a familiar enough passage, many of you know it, we would go ahead and read it together. So let's all have you stand, and we're going to do the Lord's Prayer, what's been known as the Lord's Prayer and read it together. And I have the, the 1900 King James Version because most likely that's the one you've heard the most. Okay, And uh, maybe you have a little different one. And then when we study it uh, today, we're going to actually do a little different translation on it. So let's do this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, thanks. You may be seated. So have you said that prayer before? Or read that prayer before? Or heard that somewhere along the way? Okay, many of you probably have at some point. By the way, you'll see the screen flicker on and off. That's just natural. I don't know for some reason. No, it's not really, but uh, it is going to be this morning. So hopefully it's not too distracting for you. Uh, yeah, you've probably done a prayer like that, or you might have recited some other ones. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. That's kind of the scary one, like if I die before I wake. Pray the Lord my soul to take. You're like, I don't know any kids that really should be saying that, but okay. Um, 
Some of the other ones, I remember sitting down, first time that I sat down with Rebecca's family, and we were at a, a, a dinner table, and their dad just started to, or her dad just started to say, come Lord Jesus, and then the whole family broke out into prayer. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest. And I, I, actually, does anybody, have anybody ever done that before? Okay, some of you guys have done that before. And I'm looking around going like, what is going on? Like, I have never been in that situation. But it was a prayer that they had learned and recited over time. And so that, those types of things we do. And, and maybe the Lord's Prayer here is one of those that you've learned and you recited over time. I think that's important. I think that's valuable. Uh, but I also want to talk about how prayer is more than just a transaction. If you go to the bank, you may uh, take your, your money in there. Let's say you take, you know, $100 and you give it to the teller and then the teller gives you a receipt. You've just done a transaction. Or maybe you go with a withdrawal slip and you go in there and you want $100 out of your, your checking account. And so you give them that and they disappear in the back room. They come out with that nice crisp $100 and you've just done a transaction. Then you leave and you go on your way and you've just conducted some sort of business. Maybe you go to a grocery store, you pick something out of the aisle, you put it on that conveyor belt, you get to the end, you put your debit card in, you type in all those numbers and your membership, and then you do it again because it didn't take it the first time, and, you know, and all that. And then finally, they give you that product and a receipt, and you've just had a transaction, and you go about your way. That's what I mean by transactional. Our prayers are not to be transactional, but sometimes we act like they are. Like, here, God, I'm just going to pray these things, and I hope that if I pray them the right way, or if I pray them a way that you think is good, or somehow I do like the Gentiles, like Josh talked about last week, where they babble, they say the right words, they say them enough, that somehow God will at some moment say, oh, that's, that's the words, those are the words I was hoping for. And once you say those words, now, well, now I'll go ahead and I'll grant you your request. Now I'll give you what you want. And then we walk out of the store like, yes, I got what I wanted. Sometimes we treat prayer like that. But that's not the way prayer should be. And that's what I want to take a look at as we go further into this text. Because prayer is meant to be more relational than it is transactional. Now, it's interesting, you can go through this prayer and you can break it up, and I've done this before and I've prayed this way before, and I think it's a great way to pray, but you begin to look at the things he's done. He starts off with adoration or giving God a compliment. God, you're great, you're holy, you're wonderful. That's our Father, right? And then he moves into your will be done. So these are the things that we know about God. These are the things that we agree about because God is great, his will is perfect. We want to invite those things into our life. And then he moves into more of a request phase, like uh, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and, and help us to forgive others. Okay, so there's a confession there as well. So we, Lord, grant us our needs. Let me confess to you. Help me through our daily life. And then lead us not into temptation because we all need help with that, right? And so he goes through this, and I think that's a great way for us to pray. We don't have to use those exact words, but that format's not so bad. That template's not so bad, but it's still meant to be relational. Let me give you an example. So about 20 years ago, Rebecca and I started dating, and uh, I went and picked her up, and she put a little bit of time and effort, you know, into to making herself ready for the date, and I went ahead and I put a little bit of time and effort. Now, my, my preparation was to go to Mervyn's, 
Anybody been to Mervyn's before, back, way back in the day? Yeah, so that tells you how long ago it was. But, because uh, I don't think they exist at all. Oh, at least not around here. But I uh, went to Mervyn's, and I w- I'm not stylish. I, I definitely wasn't then. The only reason I have any kind of style today is because I have uh, a wife and teenage daughters. And, and they go through. In fact, the other day I was like, can you go through my, my closet and just throw away all the clothes? And I come back, and there's hardly anything left. But all the ones that I, didn't, I shouldn't wear. That's how I should frame that. So I go into Mervyn's, and I'm looking for a style. So I see a mannequin, and I'm like, well, that, looks too, that doesn't look too bad. So I go find those clothes, and I wear them. Right, and, and I buy them and, and go on this date, only to find out that she thought those were pretty hideous clothes. Uh, but anyhow, we still went on the date, and it went okay. In fact, I got a second date and a third date. But when I picked her up, I noticed that she looked nice. And, and a respectable guy, hopefully, if you're in this situation, is going to comment on that. They're going to give that compliment, right? They're going to appreciate that they went through some sort of efforts and they give a praise, a compliment of some kind. That's usually how that relationship somewhat starts. And then as the relationship goes on a little bit further, you begin to dig a little bit. You find out their likes and dislikes, a little bit about who they are. Uh, you find out where they like to go. So we went to a restaurant you know, that, that I knew she liked a little bit of seafood. So that was easy to find because we were over in the Seattle area. And then uh, we went to the act theater and, and uh, saw a live play and all those kind of things. So these are the kind of things that, that she wanted to do. And that's what I wanted to do was impress her, but also show her that I was listening and I care. And then as the relationship went on, we started talking more about what's going to happen down the road. And, and we talked about life and spending life together and our, what our relationship would look like. And marriage came up and having kids came up and those types of things came up. And eventually, I got confident enough that I said, hey, not only do I want to marry her, but I think she'll say yes if I ask. And so, finally, it got to that point where I asked her with a, a pretty high amount of confidence, okay? I would have been really surprised if she said no. Now, she hesitated for a moment, like, hmm, yes, okay, type of thing. But she still said yes, and that was my request. And then, as the relationship continued to develop, there were times, amazingly, I know it's going to shock you, but there are times where I had to confess and apologize for things that I did that were stupid, wrong things that hurt her. And there were times where she had to apologize as well, and I had to forgive her. Now, far less than what I had to apologize for, but still, there were times where that had to take place. And then that relationship continues to this day to grow, and all those areas are impacted. And I don't know if you noticed, but that was a lot like the Lord's Prayer. We start off with a compliment, You get to know God and His will and His ways. Then you have the confidence in His promises to go and talk to Him about those promises and ask Him for some particular things. And then there's a time when you're going to realize, man, I need to confess, and I need to confess again. And I need to keep on confessing because I know I keep messing up. And then you realize, I need help forgiving other people. I don't need to forgive God, but I need help forgiving other people. And we learn to do that, and God helps us with it. You see the relationship piece of it? It's not just a transaction. It's not just something we go 
and, and, and stand in front of a counter, and God's behind it, and we do A, B, and C, and then he says, here you go, I'll grant you your request. It's a relationship where we walk with God. If we're in the store and we pick up that product, we go and we put it on the counter, and God's with us, with us the whole time. We do that transaction, we walk out of the store, he's still with us. We walk down the sidewalk, he's still with us. We get into the car, he's still with us. And he's walking and he's talking with us the whole way through. That's that relationship piece. And sometimes we miss it, but I think that's what, mo- that's what Jesus models here. So this is what I want to get across. We should pray like God loves us, because he does. Don't pray like it's a transaction. Don't pray like you're going to get something back out of it. But pray like God loves you because he does. He's in a relationship with you. He gave his own son to suffer, bleed, and die for you. So pray like God loves you because he does. Let's take a look at this passage. Let's go back. Verse 6 or verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven. He starts off and he addresses the first person of the Trinity. Okay, you got the first, second, and third. Father's the first, second is the uh, Son is the second, and then the Holy Spirit is the third. And when he addresses them, he goes to the the, the top. Now it's kind of confusing because when you look at the Trinity, you say, "Well, is there a, a some power, or is there like a priority? Like, oh, the Father's greater than the Son? They're not, but there is an order." And you see it all throughout Scripture. If you go back to creation, the Father makes the decisions, the Son goes out and creates, and then the, Son, the Holy Spirit comes afterwards, and He's over all of creation. It's very similar to salvation. The Father designed salvation, the Son went out, He gave us what we needed, and now the Holy Spirit comes into the church, and He oversees it and continues the work that God the Father set out to do. So when Jesus starts this prayer, he goes to the Father and he says to him, you are to be honored. Now he uses a different word here. In fact, a lot of translations try to keep the word hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. And you may say, I don't know if I like this so much. Hallowed be thy name. Well, let's, let's be honest. How often do you use the word Hallowed. You use a word that's similar to it every October 31st, Halloween, which means, you know, night of the saints, night of holy ones, or something like that. I see that flickering a lot. Is that distracting? If you go unplug the projector, I think that'll be okay, and then I can keep it up here. We'll see. See how that works. Um, Don't want to distract you guys. So you might lose that. You can pull up your Bibles on your phone, or if you have your Bibles in front of you, you can open up to that, Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully we'll get that bug worked out by next week. But he goes into this, so this is the Christian Standard Bible version. It says, your name be honored as holy. Okay? Your name be honored as holy. That's the the right idea here. God's name is to be holy apart the honoring is to set it aside like it's first, it's the best, it's the greatest, it's supposed to be there. Through? Whoa, that was interesting. Ooh, okay, I'm going to go back to there. Um, your name be honored, okay, as holy. So he's telling us, let's, let's set it aside, let's put it up high, up high. God's name, there's none like him. There's no other supreme being like him. There's none who is great as he is. He is the number one, okay? There's not an alien who is above God. 
That's pretty popular today, right? There's no alien that's above God. There is no other God who is above God. God was not created by another God. There is no human being that is like God. There's no one else who has the power like God. He is the number one supreme being. That's what he's saying here. Now, I think about that in all of creation and everything that we have, and it's amazing to think about a God who, and I personally believe God created the world and in, in, in the universe in six literal days, and then he made it really complicated so that we would be, you know, 6,000 years later going, um, how is this made? And we come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. Even today floating around, there's the idea that aliens created the earth, right? They'll come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. But an amazing, powerful God was able to create this complex world and you and I in six days and then sustain it, keep it going, keep working on it, and then give us salvation down the road. This is the God we're talking about. He is holy. So he says, your name be honored as holy. Set apart. It is what it is. Then he goes into verse 10, your kingdom come. Okay, so it's not that our will would be done, but we would actually trust him. The only time you're ever going to pray something like this, let your kingdom come or your will be done, is when you trust the person you're inviting to come and rule over your life and follow his will, right? You don't ask somebody you don't trust to come rule over your life, but you ask somebody you trust so you get to know God. That's that building that relationship piece where we dig into his word and we learn what he has to say. We memorize it or we study it. We go to Bible studies. We go to life groups. We talk about what he's teaching us. And we grow in our knowledge of who he is because we want to invite his will into our lives. And when his will does come and when his rule does come, we ought to say, I'll follow it because I trust you. And we all have to admit we struggle to follow him, right? We definitely do. But as we develop our relationship with him, we trust him. As we walk with him down the sidewalk and we're going through life, we trust what he has to say. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Up in heaven, they're glorifying God. They're worshiping God. Revelation 4 talks about that. Isaiah chapter 6 talks about that. You can look at the throne room. You can see how people are worshiping him, how the angels are worshiping him, how these creatures are flying around his head saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Shipping, they're submitting, they're loving him, they're following him. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to invite that into our lives. Now, going to the second part here. Verse 11. He says, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. I have three words highlighted there. Oh, sorry. I keep talking like you guys can see a screen. You can't. Unless I turn this around. Can you see that? Not too well, probably. Um, There's three words you can draw your attention to. Give, verse 12, forgive. And then in verse 13, it talks about deliver. Interesting, if you look into the Greek word, these are all like a command. It's an imperative verb. Like, God, give us this. God, forgive us. And God, deliver us. Now, it could sound like he's demanding something here. Like, he's coming to God the Father and saying, you ought to do this for me, God. But I don't think that's, that's what Jesus is doing. I don't think that's the right idea. If we walk away from it thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to go to God and demand things, you've got the wrong idea of what prayer is. Instead, 
what it's like is us coming to God saying, God, I have complete confidence that you're going to provide for me. I have complete confidence, and so I can come to you with confidence that when I pray, you're already working in that area, and I trust you with it. I trust that you have our daily bread taken care of. That means daily bread or our provisions. Now, you and I, that's different for us today. Uh, It's not like it was 2,000 years ago. They really did need that daily bread, that daily produce. They didn't have the refrigerators and the freezers and the way to preserve food like so. We might have two, three, four weeks' worth of food in our house. Now, we might think it's only a couple days, but if we dig deeper into our pantries, it's like, well, I could probably eat those garbanzo beans I've had for a couple years, you know. (laughs) So, So there's those things that are in there. But here, it it was something different. Every day, every day, they needed that. So what do we need daily? I know what I need daily. I need to make sure my eyes, my heart, and my mind is focused on Christ. Because like food would have been a distraction back 2,000 years ago, every day you're out there searching and seeking food, we have all kinds of distractions that come into our life every day. What are we worried about? Well, typically we're worried about the worries of the world, right? If you look at the Bible and what it has to say, and he goes out and throws the seed, there's all kinds of seed that throws in different soil, and there's a soil that, that, that starts to grow, and then the worries of the world come and choke it out, and that's where you and I are a lot of times. It's like, man, I don't, I don't have what the neighbor has, or I'm not going to be able to fulfill this thing, or I'm not going to be able to please this person over here, or I'm not going to be able to post this on Facebook, or look at what that family's doing. I wish we could do that, but we'll never have the money for that, and, and all these kind of things you know, run in our heads, and we feel like we can never do that. Those are the pressures that we have in this world. We need rest every day. We need trust every day. We need faith every day. We need dependence upon him every day. And then forgive us our debts, and he says that with confidence there. He says it with confidence because he knows that God has already given us everything we need for forgiveness. He's given us his son. Romans 5.8 tells us he demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He tells us in 1, Corinthians 1, or, uh, sorry, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those are the promises he's given us. Do we believe them? Do we have to beg God to forgive us or do we come and approach him with confidence that what he says is true? And he already said he will. And deliver us from evil. He's already told us that too in 1 Corinthians. He's told us that he will not give us more than we can handle in the area of temptation specifically. He says he will only allow so much into our lives. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. We can probably handle a lot more than we think we can. So sometimes he raises that bar a little bit. And it's tough, but we know that he'll deliver us too because he provides a way of escape and he tells us that and he promises us that. Do we believe it? I hope we do because he's already promised us. So do we come to God with confidence? Check out this verse. This is actually later on in the next chapter. We'll get to this in a few weeks, but just look at it now. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
I, I love being able to provide for my kids. I wish I could always do more, right? It's always fun at, at Christmas time or, or uh, you know, birthdays or something like that. When they make a request, they say, hey, I like this. I mean, that's, that's a, it's, it's a fun thing to be able to go out, purchase, buy something, wrap it up, give it to them, open it up, and hopefully they enjoy it, you know. It's always a downer when they complain. Oh, why'd you get this brand? Because it's a lot cheaper on Amazon, all right? But, but it's, a, it's, it's a, a pleasure, a joy. Here he relates this to God in this, this passage. Matthew 7, he says, If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, imagine how great of gifts God gives. He knows exactly what we need. And he gives us what we need when we need it. So think about this. When we approach God with greater confidence in his promises, and I wish I had this because this might be something you want to remember. Uh, When we approach God with greater confidence in his promises, our prayers will be filled with greater confidence in his work. Okay? I'll say that again. When we approach God with greater confidence in his promises, all the things he's told us to do, all the things he told us he can do, will do, and has promised to do, our prayers will be filled with greater confidence in his work and what he's going to do. So we can approach God much like Jesus demonstrates here and models for us. He comes and he says, okay, give us a stair of daily bread, and I know you've already promised that, but I'm going to come and see it anyhow because it's a reminder for myself that I need to be confident in what you've promised already. Forgive us, even though I know you've already forgiven me, because you said you would, and I believe in your promises, and I know they're right, and I know they're true, and I need to be reminded of that on a regular basis. And lead us not into temptation, because I know you said you would. You promised you would, and I need help every single day of my life not to fall into temptation. And you promised you would, and I need to be reminded of that and be confident that you said you would do that. You see how that works? We're walking with God. We're talking with God. It's a relationship with God. God, there's a temptation that's coming my way. You promised you'd help me get out of this. I need your help. God, I'm about to be distracted, about to go a different direction because I'm going to get worried about what's going to happen, what's coming our way. God, I need your help to get through this. And God helps. God, there's something going on right now. I'm having a hard time forgiving another person. Or I know that I'm in, in sin and I'm struggling. I need to be forgiven. You said you're going to forgive me, but I don't feel like you're going to forgive me. God, I need your help to know that you're going to forgive me. You said you will. It's your promises, and I can have confidence in that. That's what he's talking about in this prayer. Now, he ends in verses 14 and 15 with some scary thoughts. Here he starts off, verse 14. It says, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But, verse 15, if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. wish I could sugarcoat that one a little bit, but it is what it is. I think he's saying two, diff- two different things here, or there's two different ways to apply this. I'll put it that way. One, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you've maintained a hard heart and you say, you know what, the, I just don't, I don't believe that a God is good or gracious or God could ever forgive me and I don't believe I should ever forgive somebody else, then you're not in a relationship with God. Okay? 
If you are in a relationship with God and you've placed your faith in God and you've said, yes, I believe Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he died for my sins, he rose from the dead, I believe in all that, I've asked him to forgive me my sins, and I've gone through this life and I've thought to myself, you know, I've done pretty well at forgiving other people and I, I'm so great, grateful for the grace that God has given me and you're, you're going along and then out of nowhere, something hits you really hard. It's, it's from somebody else and it hurts you deeply. And you have a hard time forgiving them. If you're in a relationship with God and you're talking with God, God's going to keep knocking on your heart and he's going to keep saying you need to forgive that person. And you're going to either, one, allow God to work in your heart so that you do forgive that person or you're going to start putting more distance between you and God because you don't want to hear that, do you? And you're going to start pushing them further away. You may still be walking down the sidewalk, but God's going to be further away from you. God's not moving, but you're moving away from him. And bitterness and anger can creep into our hearts at that point. And God's still saying, hey, you need to forgive. It's better for you to forgive. But you're saying, I don't want to hear it. And that separates you and God. If you are a child of God, if you are a follower of God and, and you have made that profession, then understand this. God tells us very clearly he disciplines those he loves. So watch out. <laughs> That's all I can say at that point. Watch out. He disciplines those he loves. If you're not a follower of God, it's probably not going to be a lot of difference other than you're just going to grow harder and colder towards spiritual truth and who God is. It's a scary verse, isn't it? And it's hard. If you've been hurt in your life, it's hard. It's hard to forgive people. But the reminder he gives us here is just as our Father has forgiven us, so we ought to forgive others. He's the example. So, pray like God loves you. Because he does. He has a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you through this life. He wants to know the ins and outs. He already knows them. I understand all that. We can get into the whole theology behind it and say, well, I don't need to tell God all that because he already knows that. Yes, I, I know that. But he also wants us to come before him so that we remind ourselves and we remind ourselves to be confident in him. So remind us of the promises he's given and say, yes, I'm confident these are the things God's going to do. Walk with him and talk with him. That's what prayer is about, isn't it? Because it's not a transaction. It's not something we just go over there and purchase and then God grants us something. It's a relationship. And that's what Jesus modeled for us here. So I'm going to give you a challenge to respond. You'll just have to think about these. Um, if you have really good eyesight, you could turn around. There's a screen in the back. You'd be like, oh, I could see him back there. But, uh, but think about these. First question, would you describe your prayers with God more relational or transactional? Okay, would you describe your prayers with God as more relational or transactional? Are you just hoping God's going to, I used to say this a lot, especially when I was working with youth. Are you expecting God just to be a genie in a bottle? 
You go, you rub the lamp, poof, comes out, grants you your three wishes, get what you want, then you push him aside. Or are you in a relationship with him? You're talking with him on a regular basis. He's already promised you things, and you're just reminding yourself of those promises, and you're finding comfort in his care. Secondly, what needs to improve in the way you pray, and how can you make it better? What needs to improve in the way you pray? So you say, well, I'm kind of in the middle a little bit. Okay, what needs to improve so it's more relational? How can you make it better? Is it more time, setting aside more time? Is it making a prayer list and going through that so you know there's certain things in there you're going to regularly bring before God and, and pour out before Him? Is it just praying, period? Maybe you're like, you know, the only times I pray are on Sunday morning when I come to church or, or a life group or something like that. Is it just praying on a regular basis? What can you do to make that prayer life better? So think about those things. Think about the text. Think about what we've talked about. Spend a couple minutes, and then we'll close together.